Well, after that really motivating music, I'm super excited to kick off this podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and joining us today on the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier and joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am I am great, uh, Christian. Great with a, with a caveat or two, right? <laughs> Yeah, I understood uh, you had a little hiking accident. So <laughs> Jeez, you, yeah. Hope you feel better soon. Yeah, no, it, it's it's feeling better. I, I came down, I, I didn't hyperextend my knee, I hyperflexed it, you know, so, and I came full weight down on that knee, and, and that's a lot of weight, but I, I, right at the end of my, my hike, it was just icy, and I forgot my micro spikes this time, and that's, ugh, what a, what a dolt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not laughing at your injury. I just, I just hope that you have a safe and uh, speedy recovery. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, it was interesting because yesterday I was talking about uh, a topic called "grow from pains to gains," and and one of the, I have several slides of 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 all my scapes, uh, scrapes and bruises and you know cuts from wiping out on mountain bikes and you know what what am I learning from all of this self inflicted pain? <laughs> Maybe not much. I want to know why you're taking pictures of all your accidents. <laughs> I just, I think it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, I've slipped down on on rocks and you know gotten all kinds of raspberries, and I'm like, hey, you know, badge of honor. It is that, and that's exactly why, right? Because it is a badge of honor. Ultimately, you come out ahead of the game because you have gone through these trials and tribulations. Right, and it, you know, for me, it's a metaphor for life, and and so I. You know, mountain climbing and just adversity. I, you know, I just I, I like sometimes the real road rashes rather than the you know the metaphorical kinds we receive in in the in the boardroom. Well, you know what? In the boardroom, over the last couple of years, we've received a lot a lot of injuries, right? Um, uh, and that's not just in the boardroom, but throughout the entire workforce. And we're experiencing something really, really interesting these days. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about the great resignation and millions of people leaving their jobs to find something potentially better. And I look forward to diving into this a little bit with you today. Yeah, me too. Thank you. And and you know, I think it's a you know it's a challenge for a lot of businesses right now as I as I go around the country. I mean, I just spent uh, the week right after, well, the second week of January in Dallas, talking to three executive groups, two CEO groups and, and one senior group. And, you know, I, I see the, the problems replicated in these three groups over and over again every time I meet with these, with these, uh, these business leaders. And number one is that they're overworked and, and stressed. I mean, you know, but part of it is that that's their business. You know, you, you expect them to do that, but they also expect themselves to do it. Right. But there's, there's something I think that is tied to this whole idea of great resignation that I want us to consider. And, you know, it is why, first of all, these, these great leaders are working 70, 80, sometimes more hours every single week. And, and they're doing it for a variety of reasons. First of all, some of them love it. Uh, also because they feel like they have a responsibility to do it. And 
a lot of them are feeling like they want to make sure that, that their people aren't overburdened, so they take on more themselves. But as a result, some interesting dynamics are happening. First of all, they're getting burned out. They can't sustain it. And their people are also getting burdened out. I, it just came to my my mind, you know, the story of Moses judging all of Israel. I don't know, you know, his father-in-law says, listen, you're going to not only wear yourself out, but this people with you because they have to wait for you all the time. And so that's what's happening a lot of times with these CEOs is they don't have the time to give individual attention to a lot of their key people. And as a result, a lot of key people feel neglected or they don't feel like they are doing something that matters. And as a result, we see, and you add to that the pandemic right now that has added an incredible, you know, new challenges with logistics and supply chain. And just, we have more jobs open right now than, than there are people looking for work. And so companies are stressed and, and, and employees are stressed. And what did we have in October? We had half a million people who just went from jobs to becoming self-employed. We had the, the second highest resignation numbers in October, followed by the first in September. And that trend is continuing. So what are you seeing, uh, Christian? Well, I see that too. And, and, and compounding the, the, the problem is um, the problem of wages. You know, we... We have seen throughout this country, especially here where we live, dramatic rises in the cost of living and wages are not keeping up. And so uh, people are trying however they can to find ways to make more money. And oftentimes the way you do that is you quit your job and try to find one that pays more money. And, uh, uh, you know, this is, I, I imagine, you, you tell me in your conversations with, with executives, I imagine this places great burden on executives because they invest a lot of time and money in uh, skilling up their workforce, uh, in recruiting their workforce, and then to have them leave, it's got to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous challenge. Yeah, it, it, it can be, but you know, the, the, that's, that's, a, that's a great observation, but those workers expect it today. They expect to be developed. And if you don't do it, um, then, you know, you're, you're going to not even have that opportunity. I, I, I think at least if we're, if we're developing our people and they go somewhere else, you know, we've, we've at least done our part and we, we're adding to, uh, you know, a positive experience and workplace environment. You know, we're, we're not going to keep everybody, but we can increase or decrease the, you know, the, the burn or the, or the, you know, the, the, the quit rate. That's not the right word for it. <laughs> But, well, but you you brought up an internet, in, in, you brought up an interesting conundrum that executives face, which is, I need to spend more time with my people to develop the people, but I can't spend the time because I don't have the time. That's right. So, how do executives break out of this vicious circle, and uh, and give people experiences that they need, and and also relieve some of their own responsibilities? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a, and that's a great question, and. It, 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 it's it's not an easy answer. I, you remember the the days of Stephen Covey talking about the the different quadrants of you know uh, where we spend our time. Usually, is it is it uh, very important and urgent? Right. That's typically the, the, the putting out fires, and that's where a lot of us spend a lot of that time. But where we want to get to is spending time on things that are 
uh, important but not urgent. And one of those is developing your people and coaching and training them, right? It's not urgent, but it's important. And so you have to start making small shifts. And one of the ways that I, that I do this with executives is to help them realize how much of their people's work that they're actually doing. When I remember when I was, you know, a new executive out of college, I, you know, graduated from my master's degree and I got a, a great job, moved my family to Missouri. I had a great boss and great mentor. And I remember that I used to, Kelvin, I've talked about him on, on this podcast before. I used to go knock on his door all the time. Kelvin, hey, you got a minute because I had all these questions and I did that all the time. And in today's world, it's, you know, we have Slack, we have emails, we have, you know, texts, and, and we're constantly interrupting each other with those got a minute questions. And one of the things Kelvin taught me is he says, you know what, Spencer, he was a busy executive that ran multiple companies. And so he had all of his tasks that he had to work about, worry about, and developing me at the same time as a new executive. And so he said, Spencer, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to meet with you once a week. And when you have a question, I want you to put it in a suspense folder. Do you remember those old accordion suspense folders that you could do by day or by week? And so however you want to organize it, you know, just put them in there. Unless, of course, it's an emergency. And then <clears throat> we'll sit down and we'll talk about them all together and we'll, we'll be efficient with my time. We'll be focused. I won't have any distractions. I won't be worried about anything else. And, and, I'll, and I'll focus my time with you. And that was, you know, a great lesson to me is I had to learn how to, A, discipline myself. But what happens a lot of the times is executives today inadvertently take on their people's tasks and they don't even know it. So, for example, if I were to go to Kelvin and say I have a, a, I have a problem with, you know, um, one of our accounts or one of our, one of our people. And he was super busy and he's like, you know what, L let me, let me get back to you. I have now thrown my problem to him. And because he is the authority in my mind, I have to wait for him to get back to me. And therefore the work is not progressing because in my mind, I'm waiting for the authority that has all the answers to come back to me. And so I am not progressing with that problem and maybe being stagnant with my time. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. And, and so <clears throat> instead of saying, um, Spencer, here's what I, uh, you know, first of all, I, I don't have time to talk about that right now, but I'd like to meet with you uh, this afternoon. And, and I want two things from you. I want to know what you've done already and what you recommend we do. And then we'll talk about those things, right? So instead of saying, hey, you know, I'll get back to you or that's a great question or let me think about it. And then I get distracted with everything else I have to do as the CEO. I am leaving my employee waiting for me. And what happens in many cases is what's called upward delegation. I don't hear from my boss for a while. So I go up to him and I'm like, hey, do you remember that problem? And oh, yeah, you know, that's me supervising my boss. And it happens all the time. And it adds a lot of stress to bosses, you know. When they start to feel like they're in a position where they have to answer to their subordinates. Um, uh, so I think that's a great point that you raised. What do you do to minimize the fires that must be put out that cannot wait a week, right? Because, all right, I can put certain things in the folder 
for a week, but there are certain things that's like, oh, I got to get this resolved immediately. So, right. uh, or maybe you think it has to be resolved immediately, but maybe it doesn't. I mean, so how do you make the judgment? So, so this is put it in the folder or no, no, no. That's a that's loss? a great question. So, so in my mind, it is. It is developing the critical thinking of your team so that they can begin to handle some of those fires without you. So often we as the executive, uh, the, you know, feel like we have to deal with those, those major crises. And in many cases you do. Or we don't feel like our people are ready. And usually we're right because we have not allowed our people to develop or to fail or to get into a position where they can handle some of those, some of that weight. So back up to what I was telling you before, when the executive is inadvertently taking on their direct reports tasks, and they do it for a variety of reasons. A, they want to be a good boss. They don't want their people to feel like, you know, they're, they're too burdened, or they feel like they're the only one that could do it. Or they they are perfectionistic, so they they hold on to it themselves. Or they I mean, there's so many different reasons why bosses hold on to that. But as a result, they are doing their work and their people's work, and their people become less engaged and less valued, and they have less time one on one with those people. If they would stop taking their direct reports tasks, they will have more time to have that conversation like Kelvin had with me on a weekly basis. And in that time, use that time for anticipatory management. This is the principle that I was taught. You know, what are the challenges that you're facing that are coming that you're worried about? And that allowed us in many respects to get ahead of problems, to talk about challenges that we're having and and, and then also empowering your people. I felt empowered to be able to solve some of those problems and, and then come to that executive and say, here's, I report back, here's what happened, here's what I did. And, and, and but, but the idea is to develop your people so that they can have the critical thinking skills to solve some of those problems. Now you have more people shouldering the weight of the fires. But the key is, is, You've got to start planning ahead. I, one of my clients was actually an emergency uh, medicine, so they run emergency rooms. And the, and the people who ran the company were all emergency room doctors. And the organization struggled because how they managed everything was by emergency because that's what that's all they knew they never planned ahead it was always responsing and, and you know it was really really challenging and so you have to shift that mindset to start thinking proactively and and I was taught the idea anticipatory management what are the things that could be going wrong and that is not urgent right now and so Christian you have to start spending a little bit of time and in the beginning you take that time from not taking more of your people's tasks and shifting that to mentoring and coaching let me give you a sports analogy so in an olympic environment we've got olympic games that are going to be starting up here in a couple of weeks in yeah. beijing uh they take a very very long amount of time to plan what is in essence a 17 day event, right? It's uh, it, it, and some people might think it's too long, but uh, this anticipatory management has, has uh, 
uh, as a synonym, I guess, or a corollary in in this Olympic space, uh, which which they call operational readiness, right? Yeah. And so what do you do in operational readiness? You do a lot of desktop, tabletop simulations, um, rehearsals, uh, trainings, where you are going over various scenarios and you are trying to skill up your people so that when these scenarios happen, or if they should happen, they don't have to run to the executives to resolve them. They can take care of these problems on the venue. And the entire objective of these operational readiness exercises is to make sure that everybody has very clear understanding of what can be handled locally and what must be handled centrally. This is a challenge, not just for the, the staff that are operating in the venues, but it's also a challenge for the executives who up until that point have become very accustomed exactly. to making all of the decisions. Right. And it's difficult for them to let go of that responsibility and that power to find the trust to hand over some of this decision-making in a decentralized way. And they have to go through a long period of, of, of exercises to build up the skills of the decentralized teams so that they don't have to be running home to daddy every time to ask a question. And, and uh, so I am totally in agreement uh, with you. Uh, I do believe that if organizations spend more time on this readiness, this uh, proactive, what did you call it? Anticipatory management, um, that when it's show time, when it's games time, the thing will just run. And, uh, and you can be more strategic as the CEO. You can serve as the face of your company. You can, you can be the visionary. You can do all those kind of things because you have the bandwidth. You have freed yourself uh, from handling all of those day-to-day -day responsibilities. So I think I think anticipatory management. I'm I'm a, I'm a believer. You know, this is uh, one of the CEOs that I had met with in in Dallas. He he got it. I mean, he exactly was in the situation where he letting his people, you know, grow and develop. And he would have, you know, whenever they came to him, he would have certain questions that he would ask them about, you know, what have you been doing? And, you know, what, how, how, how are, how is your division stacking up against the, the goals and just be challenging them so that they would always come prepared to, to have a, a, a you know, a great conversation, a substantive conversation. You know, there's a there, there's a great article in it's a Harvard Business Review review article called "How I Learned to Let My Workers Lead," and it was written in 1990, so it's 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 fairly dated, but it was a it was a decade long experience of the CEO of Johnsonville uh, Foods, so they they make Johnsonville sausages and in out of Wisconsin. And in the 80s, I mean, they were a regional power. I mean, they were not a, the, the big organization that they are today. And business was good. I mean, they were growing 20% a year. That Things weren't bad. But the, Ralph Stair was the, was the CEO, realized that the company would not grow past him. Everybody needed him. They would always come to him, you know, for, as, for the last say. 
and and that feels good, as you mentioned. For a lot of executives, they like to be that one with the power, and and uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But in this case, he realized that you know maybe the company was potentially threatened by a you know larger organization to come in and, and buy them out or 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 take market share, and they didn't they they wanted to prevent that. So that's anticipatory management on his mind, right? He's like, how do I keep myself growing and position myself against future threats? And and uh, and he said, I have got to develop my people, and he became so serious about developing his people. He put a sign on his desk, Christian. And the sign said, the answer is the question. So anytime anyone would come into his office, it was, they had a question and he would turn it immediately back to them. What do you think? What is What have you done so far? What do you recommend? Don't give them the answer. Because what happens is when we give people answers, because you out there, you know who you are, you're smart executives, you have all the answers, you just ask you, right? And and you'll give people the answers. But when you do that, you train them to be dependent on you. And you don't train them to think for themselves and solve their own problems. Now, you said something in addition to what I just talked about here that I think is absolutely fantastic that needs to be done in businesses, and that is simulation, role play. When I go and I work with these CEO groups, we actually role play problems, how to deal with them, how to have conversations, because live, if you're not prepared, you, you'll fall back into your, your, your normal patterns of behavior, which are typically doing what was got you to where you are now. And so you've got to actually practice having conversations with your direct reports, coaching them, mentoring, and not taking on their responsibilities because it it happens so insidiously, so inadvertently where we disempower our people. We, I am convinced that we don't realize how we as leaders are adding to this whole great resignation and we're not even aware of it. Uh, it totally makes sense to me. It totally makes sense to me. You know, one of the things that I, I have a question for you, Spencer, as you're talking about this, just makes me think, uh, you know, one, one thing is to make sure that people have the skills. You talked about the critical thinking, right? People need to have critical thinking, but sometimes they just lack information and how many CEOs or executives hold information they're not sharing it. And then you have your underlings are coming up to you to, to ask you for your help to make a decision or something like this. And when you give that help, you actually are giving them additional information they didn't have before. You know, So how can you expect people to be effective decision makers if they don't have the information? And I think one of the things that CEOs need to do is promote a culture of information sharing and not holding on to things because you you hear that phrase, right? Knowledge is power. And sometimes people hoard that uh, information. I'm the only person that holds this information. So if anything's going to happen in this company, it's going to happen through me because I hold it. And they're not sharing. And I, and I think sometimes they do that not even knowing. 
um, there, there is an exercise I do, and I, it, it's called if chairs could talk. And what I do is when I come into an organization, we people will say, well, you know, we have a communication problem. So we actually do a communication exercise, and we set up chairs in in kind of like a, a hierarchical structure, right? And there's usually a group of maybe five to six people in this little pod. And the chairs are facing forward. So you have one in the in the front, one in the middle, and then usually three or four at the back. And they have to solve a, a, a puzzle. They have 15 minutes to do that. And typically, the person who's in the front seat is who we consider to be the, the leader of the organization. They are the ones that have all the information. And, and we hand out packets to every person. Everybody has a role in this little simulation. But the only person that has all of the information is the one in the front seat. And almost always, whenever the little pod completes their, their, their uh, goal, the rest of the team have no idea what they've even done or accomplished or how they did it because the information isn't shared. Or it's assumed that everybody knows what your organization's mission and vision and values are and what you stand for. Or you think because you know it so well that everybody feels the same way or knows that as much as you do. And there is a, uh, you know, there's, there's a great thought leader uh, from, you know, from, from years and years uh, by the name of John Cotter. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, he wrote a, a, a great book called Leading Change. And one of the things that he says is anytime you change or, or you teach somebody, you've got to communicate like a hundred times more than you think you actually have to. So I think one of the things that adds to that problem, Christian, is executives don't realize that you have to communicate many, many times more than you think you actually, you know, you think you've, you've done it, but you haven't. You have to continue to share the information over and over and over again in many different ways and, and never get tired of sharing the message uh, uh, and the information. You cannot hold on to it. You've got to let it go and let it flow throughout the entire organization to empower your people. All right, Spencer, I've got to ask then, uh, maybe to kind of... That's my fault. That's fun. No, I'm glad you did that. We probably needed another break there, but but maybe maybe to kind of just wrap this up. I mean, you, you can't expect this to happen overnight, right? I mean, it sounds good. Oh yes, I need to empower my people. Right. I need to stop taking on all my problems uh, um, to thwart this uh, great des- rate, the the impacts of the great resignation on my organization. But it doesn't happen overnight. So, how long does it take to turn this oil tanker? And what is the the first step that CEOs should take to chart a new course. Well, first of all, I'm gonna, I, I am going to say something that may seem a little disheartening, and that is the process never ends. Okay, it, it just it just doesn't end. The thing that if you read that article that Ralph Steyer says is, is it was a ten year process for him, and he realized he never arrived. I mean, you're, you're going to have new people all the time. It is, it is something that we just have to always work on, de- developing ourselves and, and allowing ourselves to let go of information and sharing that with others and learn how to develop other people. So I think one of the first things that, that um, 
I recommend is that when I'm working with an executive, it is to do some self-evaluation, to understand um, how you naturally communicate, how you, you lead, and where you may be having some blind spots in delegation. And it's different for every, for every executive. I, I, I like to start there uh, because I think that can create some very quick fixes. I mean, you want to have you want to have quick wins. What I'm saying is it's an, it's an ongoing process, but you can make some changes immediately that will have an instant impact and your life will get easier right away. The other thing that I recommend is you let your team know what you're doing so that it doesn't catch them off guard. Because Think about for just a moment, if you're the person that everyone always comes to and all of a sudden you stop doing that because now you're going to, throw it back and delegate to them. There's a, I got to, I, I got to tell you this, this metaphor. There was the, um, there was the story of the king and the, and the prime minister, right? And the king and the prime minister decided that they were going to share responsibilities. The king says, I'm going to give all the rewards, prime minister, you're going to give all the punishment. And prime minister says, sure. Well, what happened over time is that everybody, uh, nobody respected the king because he was always the good guy, but never, you know, punished anybody. But they feared the prime minister because he was the one who handed out all the punishment and he wasn't very nice. But after a while, the king was like, this is not tenable. I don't like this situation. I want people to, to respect me as well. So he, sent to, he said to the prime minister, I'm going to change our roles. I'm going to hand out all the punishments. You give all the rewards. As a result of that, the people were so confused. Here was this weak king that never was tough, and all of a sudden he turned into a real jerk. But this tough prime minister, wow, he's really reformed. He was this you know, guy that we respected, but now he's also a nice guy. They deposed the king, and they made the prime minister king. So what happens is, is sometimes you just let people know, listen, I am... As an executive, I have I realize that I'm taking on too much, and you, Christian, are so important to us in the organization, and I want to rely on you more. And as a result, I am going to, um, you know, ask you to to carry more of of the load, and that may show up in ways where, if you have questions, I'm going to ask you to to bring your recommendations, and and then we'll talk about those. And so I'm not going to just, you know, in the past, I think I feel like I've just been, hey, do this or do that because that's what's efficient, but over time, it's not what's most effective for for me and my team. So I want to be more effective with you. That means I'm not always going to give you the answer right away. But if you if you help them expect that, then it, they're not going to have this negative reaction to it. They, again, it's about over-communicating. Let people know what you're going to do, that you're doing it, and what is the purpose of that, and then they can buy into it a lot more. Well, excellent advice, Spencer. Uh, you've worked with so many executives over the years, and you have such vast experience. If those who are listening want to learn more about how you could potentially help them. What's the best way for them to contact you? I, you know, reach out to us on our website, Altium Leadership. That's A L T I U M Leadership.com, or email me at Spencer at Altium Leadership.com. And Christian, you, I, I mean, I just love your experience that you shared with what's going on with the Olympics. I'm so excited for, for them starting in a couple of weeks. How can people get a hold of you? 
Uh, you can reach me at my email, cnapier at gp4.com. That's gpfour.com or visit my website, gp4.com. You know, it, people need help with this. They, they, you know, a lot of executives, Christian, think that they're just, you know, they're, they're smart people and they feel like, well, I can just, uh, I can just implement what I, what I hear and, but they need help. They need someone to observe and say, Hey, here's, here's where you could do that differently. And that's where that role playing and practice comes in. So get the help that you need and, uh, it, it, you deserve it and it's okay. Would it be okay if your life got a little bit easier? <laughs> Great advice, Spencer. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon. Spencer, until next time.